Welcome back to This Is Not A History Lecture. Well, that was cute. We'll work on it. It's getting better every week. Yeah, hopefully um, our sound quality is better. Speaking of better. <laughs> we actually have the light on the mic this time. Yes. Red, the red light is on. You'd think that would be easy enough for us, but Roxanne, apparently not. You don't have to put on that. We're going to copyrighted. <laughs> Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. No. If anyone's going to copyright us, it'll it's be Sting. Yeah. <laughs> it would be. All credit where it's due. Yeah, we did not come up with that song. We're not claiming. Yeah. I'm not that talented. Um, right. Sh- yeah. Well. <laughs> Welcome back. This is episode six. Episode six. And we have some big things. Well, really one big thing. Yeah. You can, you can say it. You want me to say it? You're the one that's always good about keeping up with our stats. We are officially past 100 downloads. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I know it's a lot. really appreciate that. It's a lot of our family, but like. Yeah, it's a lot of our family. (laughs) But it's also not just our family. Which is weird. That's weird. There's someone that, it just says Asia. Like, we do have a listener in Asia. Um, I think they've only listened to one episode. But it's okay. That's a listen. That's a listen. I'll take it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, speaking of families, Kat had a little slip up with her sister. Uh, and my mom. And your mom. And no one's caught on that I do this yet. Oh, that's right. You told yeah. me. Yeah. Okay, so I meant to text Kaylee. We're in the middle of class, and I made a joke <laughs> about, you know, how everything's super apathetic, and I don't like doing anything anymore, and I'm just sad, which everyone's big sad, so it's fine. Yeah, But I fine. texted Kaylee and said, not our podcast, though. Like, yeah. to, to validate that I do enjoy doing this. And apparently, I was also in the co- middle of a conversation with my little sister about her birthday, and I accidentally sent that to my sister. I don't think... And she just glossed over it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she said nothing. And then I'm, I, my mom came You lucked out on that one. I did. But my mom, I dropped it in the middle of a sentence with her and my grandma, and she just kept going. I don't know if she, like, okay, so we're at a dinner, and I was like, um, but they brought my car down. I have a new car. Woo! Woo! Um, new car! Yeah, don't She's like She's gonna show it to me later. Yeah, <laughs> wink, <know>. wink. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they came to drop that off, and my mom, grandma, and I were eating, and we were, my mom was talking to me about this new podcast that it's Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and someone else, and it's... It's basically like them goofing off. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to try that. But, you know, I've been so busy with my own podcast. You literally said my own own podcast. podcast. (laughs) And she's like, oh, yeah, and keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she thought, like, I was talking about, like, my favorite murder or something that I listen to consistently. Yeah, like when people say, oh, your show or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. and so, but I I dropped it. I said it, and no one... (laughs) You know, I feel like the only person in your family who would really stop and be like, what? Mm-hmm. would be your dad probably <laughs> i think if my mom realized she'd be very interested yeah. but like I, I definitely left that on the table and no one picked it up so you know what i'm just gonna let it happen naturally hey whatever happens happens well this is the countdown guys y'all get to like place bets tweet place at us bets how many episodes will it take for cat's family to find <laughs> out yeah tweet your bets we want to i want to hear actually how long y'all think i can make it that would be really funny please please talk to us on twitter yeah so far I'll, the only one who talks to us is my mother <laughs> <laughs> but she's she's doing a great job she's very proud of herself yes hi mrs you're doing a really good job with twitter you can call her amber oh can i yeah hi amber <laughs> how's your week my week hmm how was my week weird 
we have a weird assignment coming up for one of our classes. Um, and so it was weird putting that together. I don't like it. <sighs> but good news is, is it's due tomorrow. So well, however it, it goes... Because she's not telling us what order we present in, so we could go at any time over the next two weeks. Which is upsetting because, like, obviously we'll be prepared to present tomorrow, but not uh, almost two weeks from yeah. now. You know, yeah. like next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm supposed to, like, I was going to bring a little prop for my presentation and stuff, and it's like, am I going to carry that back and forth with me every... No. No. Yeah. No, it's it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I get she wants it to be, like, fair, like, having it all due, but come on. Yeah. Like, that's how just presentations like, go. I could have it ready Tuesday, but then draw all of us in our order and tell us yeah. what they were going to go. So I exactly. guess I can wake up that morning and be, like, prepared, go over my notes yeah. again, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Say la vie, I guess. Yeah, say la vie. Mm. Yeah. But other than that, I had a fun time at work. Okay. We had a little event at the museum. Oh. And it was a good time. Nice. So got to spend the day outside helping catch bugs. Oh, uh, was it for the ecology stuff? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So that's the one part of my job where I'm not just locked in a dungeon. It's actually not a nice... It's, it's a very nice dungeon. It's funny because you're it's, locked in a dungeon. Re- I'm locked in a tower. Which... <laughs> I'm locked in a dungeon, but it's, like, very well furnished with, like, cushy couches. And <laughs> as soon as COVID passes, you'll have snacks out again. I take the snacks anyway. <laughs> they don't need to know that. I know where the snacks are kept, so I will well, take them. <laughs> the coffee machine will be out again, hopefully. Yes, that is a key. Yeah. Although I can just make the three-minute walk and go get coffee, but... What? No. No. <laughs> no. I spilled on the way back anyway, so. <laughs> That's okay. I can't even have coffee upstairs. In oh, you can't have any drinks, can't you? No, we can't even have, with COVID restrictions, We if we want our water bottles, we have to take it into a separate office that's empty and, like, get a drink in there and then come back to our desk. That hurts me. I mean, I guess technically that's how it's supposed to be with, like, us too, but I just kind of sit my straw under my mask and, like. <laughs> well, you're also alone usually in that room, right? Yeah, usually. Yeah. There's like five of us piled on top of each other. That's so. true. So you have to be very cautious. Yeah. How was your week? Good. Good. Um, About the same? Yeah. Um, I'm really excited for my internship. It's going to be a lot of antique stores. Yeah. Kat has, is going to have like the dream job this summer. Yeah. And I'm still waiting to hear back about hey, if I'll have a job this summer. We will find you one. We will. <sighs> also, I'll talk to you about project stuff later. Don't oh, okay. Yeah, I have ideas. Nice. That might be able to help you. We're also meeting with one of the professors. It's, um, not to talk bad about our program, but it's a little more on the ball. Yeah. Um, one of our... Comp- yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting help understanding some stuff, and I think the upper graduate students next are going to meet up with us and explain some things that we're confused on. So okay, awesome. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, so that hopefully will clarify some things. My parents were asking if... I could come babysit my great-grandparents who live with us, or live with them, uh, for, like, a week over the summer. And I was like, I can't tell you yes or no right now. Right. Because I have no idea what my right. summer's going to look like. Well, and now that we've missed that whole week of COVID, uh, or sorry, that whole week of snowstorm. Uh, I wish what, it was only a week of COVID. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. What was it? Um, Winter Storm Yuri? Yuri. We have to make up all those hours now. So that yeah. week I was going to take off between school ending and internship starting. Now it's probably going to just be filled with work. Yeah. So you're going to tack it on to the end of the semester. I can't do it any other way because yeah. my hours are so restricted. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sucks. Yeah. But, Life is hard. Yeah. But good news, Kat got a car. 
yes. her internship for the summer is sounding like it's going to be a whole lot of fun. The car part's the most terrifying thing I've done in a long time. Very anxiety-inducing. But yeah, I but you know what? You did it. I did. I got... And you've driven several times now, yes. haven't you? Did you yeah. drive yourself to work today? Mm-hmm. Yes. I did. I did. Uh, our friend is driving me to school in the morning, though. That's fine. She was like, if you still want to ride... I was like, yes. Yes. Yeah, so I don't want to go into a possible presentation day with that added anxiety, so... That's completely fair. Um... Not even to mention, like, having to get back here and then set up for a presentation in 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, my parents were so great about trying to find me a car I feel comfortable in. Because I would never feel comfortable driving an SUV or something Mm -hmm. big. But getting behind the wheel does feel a lot like my old car. And if I think too much, it feels like being behind the wheel when it happened. And it's, like, very... I I, I can't think about it for more than a few seconds at a time. I'm like, nope. Distract your brain. Think about something else. Let's hear our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Start on our podcast. Our podcast. I've actually listened to one of our episodes all the way through. Like, I went back because I was like, I just want to see... What we how, sound like yeah. to other people. And I did the part one from last week, the Donner Party, because I figured that was Yeah, I listened to that one all the way through, too. Yeah. I figured it would be our more, like, cohesive one. Yeah. But that's also probably like, oof, I hope that people who start from the very beginning know that it gets better. <laughs> I know. My roommates are still like... Oh, like I want to listen to all of them, and I'm like, don't. They're no. still on like episode one. I'm like, don't, don't, no. just skip, just skip to like five, skip to like four, four maybe. Like, please, it's so bad. Yeah, it. We were really <sighs> comfortable. But yeah, episode six. Who thought? I didn't yeah. think we would get this far. I, I, I kind of thought we would. I, I just thought we know that we'd be like this, doing it like this. Yeah, like committed. this comfortable. This yeah. It's just part of my schedule, weekly schedule now. Like I do mm-hmm. research. I do. Yeah, I've noticed that I've gotten I've just gotten within five episodes mm-hmm. have gotten better at research. Yeah, and and it's so nice to have that history outlet. I have. Yeah. I've really oh my god, it. I know. I have so much fun researching. It's I know. So stupid, but I'm like, and I it's just like Google <laughs> the little stuff, and it's like it's so great because it's not like we're writing like a research paper, so we don't have to worry about mm-hmm. oh a book that's been peer reviewed or whatever. Yeah. Like no, it's like a Nat Geo article. Yeah, and. That's, you it's know, so nice. that's obviously a credible source, but mm-hmm. it's not like research level credible. Right. Um, so like, it's just nice to do history like casually again. Yeah. Which is why we started the podcast. Yes, it is. And all the way out here on episode six, it might be a time to recap our... Yeah. Speaking of, of our beginnings, we yeah. want to re... Just reiterate some things. No, no one's been an offender of this, but we just wanted to like remind yeah. people that of several things, basically all the stuff we mentioned in the first episode of yeah. like... We know that we're not perfect, and we will never know everything about these topics. Mm -hmm. And especially when we get into stuff that's, like, older, it's really weird to find sources, Mm -hmm. and sources say all different kinds of things. So, like, please be nice to us. (laughs) We're trying our best. We would never intentionally say something wrong Mm -hmm. or incorrect. Yeah, for sure. And also, um, a lot of these topics, we find them. Without previous knowledge. Like, Kaylee's specialty is sex history. Mine is genocide. Like, we are not going to know about the Donner Party in detail. (laughs) I know. Like, the Dyatlov past, like, what? That has nothing to do with it. Like, (laughs) yeah. So it's like we want to make sure we're bringing a variety of things to you, but just with that comes the knowledge that we won't always have prior experience with that topic so yeah. we thank you for your patience and mm-hmm. your cutting us a little slack yeah and like all the world war ii stuff obviously that's cat because <laughs> because that's what she knows don't ruin my thing for today I'm i didn't I'm say kidding. it was I'm for kidding. today I know. i'm kidding it is you Plot already twist, guys i know oh, i told everyone on twitter um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. Totally you mean you told my mom on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was just your mother. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so, and also with that, just a reminder that, you know, history is inherently political, mm-hmm. um, and there's no way to get around it, and sorry if that's upsetting to some people, that, well, you shouldn't bring politics into stuff, but, like, we have to. Yeah, you can't get by you some of this stuff, You can't get by, and it would be doing a disservice to the stories that we're telling 100%. if we didn't bring up politics. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, no one's been an offender of this. We have haven't gotten anyone complaining. Yeah. So, we've actually gotten several five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So that's very exciting for us. Shout out to the people who did that. Thank you. And shout out to the people who are planning to do that, which is hopefully everyone, right? Hint, hint, wink, wink. (laughs) I can't see it through the mic, but I'm doing it. Listen, we can't force you to do anything, but we would just be very grateful if you did. Very, very grateful. Very grateful. (laughs) Um, And again, if there's ever anything we do that's like, doesn't sit well with you it's okay to tell us like hey i didn't like that or if we mess up a terminology like like we said we can't go over the full episode that the first episode we had that had the full disclaimer because that took like 30 minutes yeah but we are more than happy to mea culpa you know mm-hmm. like we said so. have a little corrections corner moment mm-hmm. you know if we ever accidentally misidentify a community that you belong to yeah let us know again we would never intentionally insult or offend someone yeah. um and if we do slip up, it's I, I promise it's not on purpose, and we will immediately correct ourselves. Yeah. So we might be super inclusive for where in Texas we live, but that doesn't mean that we're oblivious to the context and surrounding areas that we're yeah. in. Yeah. And a lot of it is just exposure stuff. And yeah. We just haven't gotten. That's you know, what, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, and like, we just don't know people in that community, so we don't really know the correct things to call mm-hmm. people. Um. So please let us know. Yeah. And if you ever catch us. Yeah, let us know because we want to catch ourselves. Yeah, and we are more than willing to do that. Um, but yeah, All so right. here we go. Should we jump in? Yes, we should. Kat's very excited about this week because she's doing a oh. World War II yes. lady. Yes. Take it away, Kat. Okay, here we go. Um, I should preface this by saying that she has been one of my long-term role model heroes for years. Um. I love badass women from World War II. So Rose Valland, Irina Sendler, Virginia Hall. Um, there are so many. Nancy Wake, the White Mouse. Like the, there's just so many women. That and did, you better believe that there will be an episode on every oh, single yeah. one of them. Oh yeah, I already stick around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I want to name my children after these people. And then I was like, well, I can't because I'm not probably having my own biological children. And then I was like, I'll name my dogs after him. And then someone was like, that's offensive. Don't name your dogs after these people. And I was like, it's the only shot I've got. It's the only chance. <laughs> well, also I don't like, <laughs> like naming your child after someone who like went through a traumatic event. It's a little questionable. It's like, like I love the name Dido. Would I ever <laughs> name a child Dido? Absolutely not. That's true. I feel like just, that's just asking for the wrath of Hera. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this week I'm talking about Rose Valland. And she is, as a quick recap, so you know what you're getting into, she was in France during World War II. And as Hitler and his men invaded uh, and began to take cultural items from France, she was a huge part of supplying the resistance with this information to save a lot of the artwork and stuff. That Hell yeah. I know, right? She's a museum person, too. Oh, hell yeah. Fitting. Yeah. So, we're going to start from the beginning. 
Rose Antonia Maria Valland was born on November 1st, 1898, which every time we cross that century line, it feels so weird to think of these as like modern people, but born in the 1800s. I know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And she, she lived a long time. She died September 18th, 1980. Wow. Yeah, so she yeah. was, I think, almost 80. I can't do math, guys. Wait, 90, Again. 90, no, 82. 80, 82? 1980? 82. 1898. This is why we should never... You know what? She was born in 1898 and died in 1980. Do your math. That's yeah. not for us. Yeah. You figure it out. Yeah. Audience involvement. <laughs> Tweet at us. <laughs> yeah. But she was born and buried in the same town. And since Kaylee's the French speaker among us, I'm German. Ooh. So Saint Etienne de Saint Gaulle. Okay. Well, you said Etienne very well. Oh, thank you. De Saint Jour. Jour. Joy. Awesome. Great. Yep. That know. place. That, she was born there. So sorry if you're from France and you want to kill me right now. I'm so sorry. Um, but in her approximately 80 years, she was um, a very talented art historian. She was part of the French resistance. She actually became a captain of the French military. Okay. And awesome. And one of the most decorated women in French history. Wow. And we don't talk about this woman as much I as thought she just worked at the Louvre. <laughs> no, she did such a badass job there that they made her a captain. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. Oh, she's amazing. This is... Uh, let there... I, I'm not saying that we want there to be a World War Three, Which we don't. Let no, me be no, no, clear. No. But if there was, this would be Kat. Oh. She would seize that, the opportunity. That is the best compliment I've ever gotten in my entire life. Are you kidding? You work in collections. <gasps> <laughs> I would. I would do it. Um, she was born a blacksmith's daughter, so they weren't super, like, rich or anything, but when she gets older, she manages to get a scholarship to go to a school for teachers. By 1918, she's got her degree, and she's like, oh, yeah, I want to be an art teacher specifically. And she goes back to school at École, École Nationale? Is there an... Yeah, I, I École Nationale. École Nationale. Yeah. De Beaux-Arts de Lyon, and gets another degree in 1922. And then she gets another degree from a school in Paris as well. And she's like, yeah, okay, let's start teaching. But she can't seem to stop going to school and get more training because she studies art history at Ecole de Louvre and University of Paris. So this woman just keeps going. And then 1933, another diploma from Ecole what? de Louvre. And oh, my God. <laughs> goes to graduate school. Yeah. I have a headache. <laughs> she doesn't slow down. She just keeps no, going. No, obviously. Good for her. Mm-hmm. And when she finally is like, yeah, I've maxed out my education. Like, I've already learned it all. There's no point in going back. She decides to become an assistant curator at Jeux des Palmes Museum. And I'm sorry. I'm botching these names, guys. I'm trying. Oh, it's okay. I have to say Mongolian names later, so... Ooh, okay. We're just um, going to say it now. Mea culpa, guys. Really sorry. Yeah. Sorry about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and because she's a woman, and even though she's super highly skilled, she has to take it as a volunteer position. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And in 1941, so for those of y'all who don't know your dates as well, that is in the midst of World War II. Yeah. 1941. December of 1941 is when America enters the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Europe started in 39. And then America enters in 41. So it's been the war in Europe for several years yeah. now. Europe's been struggling a hot minute. Um, and America's just chilling. Uh, anyway, um, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, and the curator, yeah it is. Yeah, it's a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and you can find them. <laughs> you, you really can. Um, in 1941, the curator gets really sick, though, so she steps up, and she's like, yeah, I'm just going to work my way into this assistant position. Awesome. And she's getting paid now, and she's taking care of business, and she's, for, she's 43, and she gets paid to oversee kind of the whole Jeu de Pomme Museum, but Germany has taken over France at this point. Mm-hmm. So Hitler, who is chancellor and high supreme, whatever the hell he wants to call himself, he loves art. A lot of y'all know that Hitler um, got rejected from art school, and there's that running joke that that's why World War II happened, just because someone rejected this random boy from art school. But he has an obsession with art. He wants to create a capital city in Linz, Austria, and he wants this thing called the Führer Museum, which would have been like the Smithsonian's we have now, kind of just Mm -hmm. a multitude of large space museums and buildings and galleries and all this different stuff, because he was obsessed with art. And he was also... Comparing America to the Nazis? Well, I wasn't even intending to do that. Oh, My yeah. bad, guys. <clears throat> anyway, the Smithsonian's came first, to be clear. Yeah, Smithsonian's but were around much longer. There is definitely the element of the show of nationalism that comes with. Which is why repatriations in museums. We should do an episode on that. Repatriation? Repatriation, yeah. Let me add it to the list. <laughs> yeah, but... If you want to know more about that, it's kind of insane, the amount of cultural superiority Hitler wanted to demonstrate. And he firmly believed that Germany had the rights to most of this artwork and stuff because of World War I and the Napoleonic Wars anyway. So he was huge on this like nationalistic, like you said, presentation of art and just pro-Germany, pro-Aryan in a lot of ways. And... As the Germans were advancing and getting closer to taking Paris, the museum operators realized what was about to happen. They knew that they were going to start losing their most... So she's still at the Museum de Pomme? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But even before that, when Germany was advancing, like, we're talking everyone knew what was... Everyone mm-hmm. in the museum professional world kind of saw what was coming. They... It's incredible. They empty the Louvre, or at least try. They get over... 3,600 paintings out of that museum. Oh my God. They ship them anywhere, everywhere that will take them. We are talking wow. castles. We are talking mines in the countryside. We are talking random huts. They just shipped it anywhere they could get away from bombings and Hitler and the wow. Nazis. And like the winged victory statue at the front of the museum that's so famous, they had to take it apart. Oh my God. Because it's so fragile. And there's a, there was a firsthand account or something of the director of the Louvre like crying as they took it apart and realizing like what was <sighs> going to happen. But, wow. Yeah, if y'all think the Mona Lisa is high profile now, oh my they gosh. packaged that thing up. They had to send it to five different places and just shuffle it around to keep it out of the hands of the Nazis. Oh my god. Could you imagine if they had gotten hold of the Mona Lisa? No. No. We probably wouldn't know where We've it was. We've lost great works of art because of this. We have lost Van Gogh. We have Van Gogh if you're American, Van Gogh if you're British. I've just watched a lot of Doctor Who. And <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh at me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> Picasso, there's a famous Rembrandt that's still missing. Like, there's so much art from incredibly famous people. That and they used to just missing. destroy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah they... Uh, I'll get into that too later, but it's awful. And so, as Paris is trying to, like, evacuate their great art, there are a lot of museums that don't have time or private collections because the Nazis looted homes. Like, like I can't tell you what... 
the damage they did. They were especially Jewish and Polish homes. They would just go inside and take everything. We're talking furniture, china, blankets, shoes, and artwork. And there were a lot of really affluent um, artwork collectors within the Jewish community, and they would seize these personal collections. Um, that whole topic of art in World War II could have its own episode as well, but as he's trying to get all this art in one place, he realizes he needs a central place to accumulate his art until he can get it to Linz, Austria, to make his Führer Museum. And so, guess where he starts storing his stolen collection? That's right, the Jeux de Pomme, where Rose Valland is still working. Okay, so, so the Nazis start storing mm-hmm. the stuff they've stolen from... From everyone. From other museums, from oh. Jewish homes. They just start passing wow. all of it. It's their central, like, distribution center, almost. And, and this random museum that, like, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it will... And they're sending it to Nazi leaders' private collections, too. So yeah. it's just getting passed through here. Over 20,000 pieces of art are getting shuffled through her museum and mm-hmm. sorted away. They send away every French official in that museum, pretty much. Not wanting anyone that could, like, be a threat to the, you know, to their plan... But this little unassuming and quiet-spoken woman was allowed to stay in the building because she was kind of running their, like, basic secretarial works. And she never lets on, for a moment, that she knows exactly what they're saying. She (laughs) speaks German. Yeah, she does. Yeah. The Nazi leaders never even consider her as a threat. But she had spent years in Germany before this, and so she's... Just sitting there talking in French, pretending she can't hear or understand a thing they're doing. And she's getting this information down. Sometimes the just audacity of men <laughs> works in the favor of the greater good. It does. <laughs> and that's why it's like when women like pray on, like in this instance, I'm like, yes, use your womanly quiet wiles. Play your stereotypes so yeah. you can save art. Like, Play you your stereotypes. Save, yeah. yeah. There's a time and a place. This is one of those few where I'm like, yes, girl. Right? Be mousy and small and soft-spoken and unassuming. Um, yeah. So she starts writing everything that she hears going on. Where they're being sent, how they're being transported, and they're so oblivious that Rose Valland keeps an open notebook on her desk, and they never even ask what an she's doing with open it. open notebook? Mm-hmm. She's writing. Oh, they're like, oh, she's a secretary. She, yeah. That's her job is to yeah. write. <laughs> Oh my god. And she starts secretly talking to these drivers of the shipping vehicles. And she realizes that they're taking all the art to the railroad cars. And she's got a small office with a phone in it. And for those of you who don't know what a landline is, which is weird to say, but it was a singular landline. So it was perfect for her to just pick up her end of the receiver and listen to all the Germans talking about where they're sending their artwork. What's that? Breathing. In the background. In the background. It (laughs) sounds kind of French. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it's ridiculous how... how how She was just able to get away with this because they were like, oh, whatever. The carbon copies of the instructions are passing her desk. Oh, my gosh. Like, and apparently twice, though, she got very close to being caught, which would have been immediate execution for her. Yeah. Um... But Why is there not a movie? I think there might be. She apparently... She was in that one movie Monuments with... Monuments Men. Mon- I talk yeah, about it a little George bit Clooney. later. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's portrayed by Kate Blanchett. Um, oh, okay. It's, that's kind of like their nod to her. Um, yeah, but she needs her own movie. Oh, she does, 100%. She apparently, later in her life, wrote a biography about this experience, and I want to really? go read it. Um, that's awesome. I didn't realize it until I was doing research, and I was like, how did I not know that this woman wrote a book about herself, and I didn't right? read it? Come 
my cat. He's slacking. I know. <laughs> but she's like, I've got all this information. What am I going to do with it? And the French National Museum director, the director of the Musée, Musée National, I'm trying, yeah. Jacques, Jacques Joyard. That's fine. Uh, okay. Jo, Jojard? Joyard? 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 Joyard. Yeah. So let him know. She, she's just like, yeah, I'm going to let you know exactly what's going on because you're in charge of, like, the big bad museums, like the, like the huge head honchos. Yeah. And so she keeps feeding him all this information. And you know what he does? He sends it straight to the French resistance. <laughs> Vive la resistance. <laughs> France knows how to do the revolution. France knows if there's one thing that the French know how to do, <laughs> it's throw it's resist. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They so he's able to tell the resistance like, "Hey, don't bomb this train. Don't bomb this transport. There are priceless works of art for oh our country gosh. on board." And he, so, yeah, they're destroying Nazi supplies, but not the art. And she has, like, but that's not to say that art isn't getting destroyed. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's... There's only so much she can do and that they can do. Mm-hmm. And the Nazis hate, like, I can't tell you the burning hatred they have for people that they consider subhuman or degenerates. These are Jews, Poles, um, anyone, if you didn't know this, the LGBTQIA plus community are all considered just disgusting to the Nazis and they destroy their art. Like they walk through the Louvre, anything painted by a Jewish person or pole or part of the community, they slash it open. They just tear all these paintings apart and then take them outside (sighs) and burn them. And Rose Ballin has to stand there and watch hundreds of pieces of art get destroyed and burned. Wow. And she has quotes on it, too. I recommend looking up some stuff about, like, her experiences, for sure. She's fascinating. Um, but Hermann Goering, who is, if you know World War II, you recognize the name, probably. He was one of Hitler's up-there men. He was the original creator of the Gestapo before he handed it over to, I believe it was Himmler. Heinrich Himmler that took it over mm. for him. Um, but he kind of, like, he gets unofficial power and all this other stuff. But he... It's like, oh, yes, I want an art collection. Uh, and it comes of course, into the museum. Yeah. <laughs> he walked around with a cigar and some champagne. Oh, so he's just, like, doing a little gallery walk. Yes, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll take this one. Let me put my red dot. Literally. Like, literally, that's what oh he does. Oh, my gosh. And he does it at least 20 times. Oh, my gosh. But Rose Valen is there, and she understands what he's saying. Yes, she is, and yes, she does. Mm-hmm. And later, when the Nazis are defeated and... Goring goes to the Nuremberg trials, the Nazi trials where everyone was sentenced to death, um, like, for their crimes. He gets sentenced to death, and he ends up killing himself hours before the execution. But Rose <sighs> Valland goes to those trials and is a witness against him. <laughs> and she yes. goes after him. She's like, where are the paintings that you took? Like, she, this woman is endless. She is so strong. Oh, my gosh. Um, I can't believe how miserable it would have been for her to stand there and watch him waltz around like he owns this place. Yeah. But um, Goring did have an art dealer, and he caught Rose Valen writing stuff down. And oh, according to her, this is the closest that she ever got to being caught. And he tells her, if you're working against us, you're going to get shot. And she basically tells him, like, I know. I know what I'm... We all know that here. Yeah. And years later... 
she testifies against that man as well, but the man gets away scot-free. Ugh. So, but this, yeah, so she never, she never forgets and stops, even after the war, pushing for what's right and for this art, and it's incredible. And the most famous of her exploits was probably, there's a, there was a really famous train full of art that was getting loaded up a few weeks before France was liberated. And Germany is kind of panicking. And they're like, okay, um, this isn't going so well for us. We're going to get as much art of here out, art out of here as possible because they know the Allies are going to start closing in. And she finds out that they're all being put on a train, thousands of pieces of art that include Picasso, Cezanne, Degas, and like tons of stuff from deported citizens as well. Um, and there are so many places this stuff ends up usually. We're talking, it could get scattered across warehouses, mines, underground, anywhere. And in some cases, when the Germans were retreating, they were given the order to destroy the objects because if we can't have them, no one can, you know? So, like, entire mines full of artwork get blown to smithereens or burned down. We're talking, like, the greatest, some of the greatest classical artwork that we've... I know. And what's... I mean, photography was around in the 40s, obviously, mm-hmm. but, like... But there's no... Yeah. And yeah. Not even color, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That just pales in comparison to what they were, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. <sighs> so... Knowing what's going to happen, she realizes they have to stop these trains from going out. That There's so much at stake with this art. And she knows what cars have what items in them and where each one's going. So, so does the resistance. And yes. lots of stuff happens <sighs> along the way. This train gets stalled. They manage to make it, like, not procrastinate it, but, like, to kind of hinder them enough where they, can, yeah. they can't send the train out fast enough. And... Eventually, the resistance is able to get to the train. They remove all the German soldiers that were left to watch it, and they take all the artwork back. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. They got the whole train back. They got the whole train. They got the whole train. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's actually really cool. I think it's called Train 40044 or something like that. Huh. I'm not sure how numerically that's pronounced, um, but it's interesting. Um so she managed to save, like, all that work almost single-handedly. Wow, that's awesome. And it's crazy because the Germans got suspicious at some point when art starts going missing or something. And they fired her four times from her job. <laughs> four times. And she just kept coming back the next day, like, I'm here for work. Yeah. And it's like, what are you going to do? Well, I don't understand They're German. What? 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 Are you trying to fire me? I'm so sorry. <laughs> that, what do you mean I lost my job? I... I, I, I was just... Je prends français. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, eventually the Nazis are finally driven back out of France. And Rose Valen gets arrested, but by the Allies. What? <laughs> They're like, okay, you were collaborating with the Nazis. You I was going to say, yeah, them. she was working with the Nazis the whole time. Uh-huh. Yeah. You were giving them artwork and all this stuff. But everyone's like, no, wait, this is our hero. <laughs> Don't no, stop. <laughs> stop. This is our Rose Valen. And... So all these people vouch for her and get her off, you know, scot-free. And she's got all these records, but she's not going to hand them over to just anyone. I mean, she's been accumulating these for years. Yeah, can you imagine, like, she accidentally gives them to the the wrong person? person. Uh Yeah. And they kind of get her in touch with a program that's been created just to try and make sense of the arts and archives mess. And it took her months to trust them enough to hand over her records. I don't blame her. Oh, no, I would do the same thing. I'd be so wary of anyone. Yeah. And what eventually convinces her is a friendship with Captain James Roramir, who was a monuments man. Ah. And it took him a long time, but she eventually just hands him all of her documentation and she's like, here you go. 
this is it. This is everything you need to get most of our art back that hasn't been, you know, as far as I know, this is where it all went. Um, and it's after the war that she finds out the Germans considered her a very dangerous witness. They literally laid out the plans to deport her to Germany and execute her. Oh my gosh. She was like... So they were already on it. They, like, they were starting to realize what was going on. Gotcha. Yeah. And even if they didn't realize, they knew she was a risk. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, and knowing everything that's going on, she still has to, like, find some semblance of a normal life after the war, just like everyone else. So she kind of, she finds a good girl. She starts dating Joyce Helen here, who was from Liverpool and secretary at the U.S. Embassy. Okay, they, awesome. Mm-hmm, they move in and they get a little nice apartment. Um, but they were just friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> they were partners. They were, I think they were openly partners. Um, oh, I don't think they, I know. Classic historian joke. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I, yeah. It just, it no, is nice to see someone who's so open about it. And yeah. Because it's, a lot of people in this time period were just, oh, we're roommates. Yeah. you got a lot of flack if you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in Europe where the Germans were just, well, the Nazis were just executing people for being gay. Yeah. So, mad props. But she doesn't really stop. <laughs> Her logs alone helped them find an entire castle worth of art in the Bavarian Alps. Over Wait, didn't that happen in the movie? No, no, like recently? No. No, this no, was I'm thinking soon of, after the war. Yeah. It's probably happened since then. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, they've continued to find art stored yeah. away in weird places. Oh, I'm thinking of the apartment they like found art oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. But she finds over 20,000 pieces of art in that wow. art and culture in that one castle. Wow. And they were looted mostly from private collectors, and she starts helping all of it find its way back to them as well. So, like, these families oh, wow. are having stuff returned to them. And she's so important, she becomes a captain of the French First Army, and then goes to Germany for almost a decade in the Commission for the Recovery of Works and Art. That's so cool. She literally confronts previous Nazi leaders in Germany and goes beyond her previous, previous records. She finds entire repositories of previously unknown storage, and when I say she's finding these storage places, it's not just art. At one point, her her leads take the soldiers to a mine, and they find like millions of dollars of Nazi gold. Oh like my gosh! Gold bars, like oh my gosh! They they. Ugh. I can't tell you how badass this woman is. <laughs> oh my gosh! And she ends up spending years restoring artwork to its proper place, and then oh. she goes home to France in 1953 where she becomes the conservator of the French Musée National and is the chair for another commission to restore art. And she receives the title of curator, finally, after two finally. decades oh my of God. museum work. And she started off as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And even after she officially retires, she keeps, you know, working. Yeah. She keeps going. She writes her book and everything. Mm-hmm. And a 2013 report states that her efforts led to the recovery of over 60 thousand works of art wow and she receives so many awards and accolades during the like it's insane she gets the legion d'honneur okay you're gonna have to help me legion d'honneur medaille de la resistance Uh, that was botched i'm sorry (laughs) the legion d'honneur medaille de la resistance awesome that the officer's cross of the order of merit from the federal republic of germany the usa awards her the medal of freedom like 
Yeah. She's nationally, like, It sounds like that, the French one is some, a similar thing to the Medal of Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which would make sense. Yeah. Because everyone's gotta love this woman, like. Yeah. She gets stamps named after her. School. Like, yeah. Schools. Schools. Two web portals, even. Like, there's a current archive system under really? her name. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. hmm And her hometown even names the town square after her in 2003. Aww. Yeah, and that's, like I said, she's buried back in her hometown in 1980, and unfortunately, three years before she died, her partner, Joyce, passed away in 1977, three years before from breast cancer, but mm. she was also, but Rose had her buried in the family vault with her, mm. so they got to kind of be together, um, and like Kaylee said, if this story, like, sounds familiar, it's because of the movie Monuments Pro- Men, probably, like, you've probably seen it there, um, their depiction of her is a little... They had to throw romance in the movie to sell it, which makes me yeah. kind of mad because they have this kind of unspoken thing going on with the character that Kate Blanchett plays who is based on Rose Balland. Um, but I think it's probably the most in popular movie that has an interpretation of her for you to, like, notice. Um, very loose interpretation in my opinion but it's fascinating to see what the movie gets wrong versus right because there were monuments men um and if you're interested in art and recovery and just world war ii art there is a documentary it's probably one of the best documentary documentaries i've seen just because of the topic i love it so much but it is from like the 90s so it's a little outdated just everything but um i'm gonna it's the r word that we try not to say on here Blank of Europa, if that made any sense. Um, should we spell it out? Yes. It's the R-A-P-E of Europa. Oh, R-A-P-E. I was thinking of the other R word. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it's like a reference to what happened to Europe in their art yeah. and everything. But it is genuinely one of the most... Just because I think it's we're museum people, but like watching it makes me cry. Because they talk, like, in depth about... I've never heard of that. I'll have to... We'll probably watch it next year in ethics class. Ethics. Yeah, so excited for it. But, um, yeah, that's a phenomenal documentary. I would recommend it. They do talk about Valon, but they also give you the real take on the monuments, men, about how, how desperately these people tried to stop destruction of art and, like, the, the risking their lives, like the nuns yeah. that stayed after, like through the bombing to sandbag up the walls in Italy and stuff. Like yeah. what people went through to try to keep culture is yeah. incredible. Because that's what it is. It's culture. It's more than just paintings, you know, it's heritage. Yeah. It's, it's a national, it's a national identity, especially yeah. for someone for like France where art and culture is so it's the pride of the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this woman single-handedly saved so much of that, and I'm totally gonna have to hunt down her English version of her book now. But I, what I you love can't her. just learn French? Uh, you remember how hard it was for me to just pass German? <laughs> <laughs> so um, maybe it, just... it wouldn't be cat. If if it was cat, it would have to be like deaf people revolutionizing Actually, in I World totally, War Three. Yeah, I totally want to do an episode on DPN, deaf president now. So that's probably coming. 
Okay, well, that's fun that you mentioned it in context of me talking about deaf people starting World War III. No, no, <laughs> no, no, we're kidding. Um, in all reality, we do not want World War III to happen. No, we, we don't. Absolutely we really not. Don't. We joke about things like this. We don't. Please yeah. don't. Please it's don't think you, we do. <laughs> if you know, if you know a lot of history people, a lot of history people, they make really morbid jokes because that's also how you deal with the reality. Like after years of staring at awful holocaust and genocide stuff i make some really bad jokes and i have to like be around kaylee when i make them because like <laughs> sometimes i'm like ooh, anyone else would have cringed but kaylee yeah. knows that it's well, a coping mechanism well too like with history people we just watch history repeat itself yeah and you're just you kind of feel hopeless like what yeah so you joke about it. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's like, I, I I don't think I've ever heard either of us make a culturally insensitive one. No, but absolutely But do we make not. really morbid jokes about history? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a, well, it's a mood. Yeah. Well, that was really cool, cool Kat. Thank you. That was a fun... She, is, she sounds like a fun lady. She's awesome. Like, look her up. She just seems like she was kind of a badass. Like, you look at her picture yeah. and you're like, oh, this woman. Very like, unassuming. But that's what they thought, too. And that's how she got the, the better day. of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Good yeah. for her. But, yeah. So, I guess that means it's my turn. Yes. Yes. Hey, it's Kaylee. Who are you Who are you doing today? So, I also have um, a person who has been depicted questionably in media. Oh, of course. Um, recent me- media. Not quite as prominent as a Hollywood motion feature, um, but... Media nonetheless. We'll see if that's good or bad. Um, yeah, so today I'm doing the Mongolian princess Katuyan. Okay. And again, like I said earlier, please forgive my pronunciation. I'll only be pronouncing three names, but Katuyan is an interesting name. It is, yeah. And that's what I heard it being pronounced as um, by other Americans. So I feel comfortable saying that, but because there's no way I'm going to get like the Mongolian pronunciation. No, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um. So yes, Katuyan. She was Genghis Khan's great great granddaughter, and she lived from 1260 to 1306. Okay. Um, I think we feel like we should note here though, Genghis Khan had a lot of children. Yes. Through very un. Okay means yes. And I so I don't know if I mentioned that. I do do some okay. background. Okay, um, then I'll let you go forward. Yeah. So Genghis Khan. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Genghis Khan was the Mongolian emperor who united um, basically the entire like nomadic culture of Mongolia into one war movement, and managed to create the largest contiguous empire that has ever existed in history. This empire spanned 9 million square miles and covered most of Russia and a significant part of Asia and into Eastern Europe. I didn't realize it went all the way into Europe. Yeah. Wow. Um, So, big deal. He was, like Kat said... Not a great guy. He was a fantastic military leader, but absolutely atrocious human being. I feel like it's a recurring theme with a lot of military leaders. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually like wrote that down. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to be doing a very deep dive on Ge- deep dive on Genghis Khan because he definitely deserves his own episode or more than one episode. 
because it was just such a significant part of world history. However, just know that he was able to conquer so much land by unifying several nomadic tribes into one force, like I said earlier. And he did bring certain advancements such as religious tolerance and meritocracies to the places he conquered, but he was extremely brutal, not just in the, um, I'm going to say like trigger warning, raping and pillaging way, Mm -hmm. but in the, I'm going to wipe out entire cultural groups because I feel like it way. Um, uh, yeah, it kind of ties into the last episode with the Nazis. Uh, there's not a way you can get that much. There's not a way you can kind of construct an empire that big yeah. without violence um, because people are always going to resist. I feel like cultural genocide is often a byproduct of people just wanting dominance and literally yes. realizing that you can't sustain a culture that large without creating variants. And yeah. so they don't want the variants. Yeah. And I, from what I remember about the Mongolian empire, the reason why they were able to make it so big is because they still let the people they conquered be relatively autonomous, but just like paid taxes and stuff to the state. I think that's how uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure, which is why, again, I think Genghis Khan and the Mongolian empire deserve their own episodes or maybe series of episodes because it was really interesting how he managed to get it so big. Um, obviously like this kind of, uh, contiguous is a key word there because the British Empire later would be bigger, but it's not contiguous because they were a sea-based oh. empire with all their colonies. But these are um, just, like, they all connected. It was all big one one big landmass. Right. So that's quick, quick background on Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan has died, and now we're dealing with the fallout after his death, as what happens a lot with these big empires. Once the the unifying guy dies, Mm -hmm. then we have issues with who's going to be in charge, how are we going to rule, especially with someone like Genghis Khan, who, like Kat said, had a million children, and they want to do things in all kinds of different ways. Isn't there, like, a... Oh, like an estimate that like one in 16 people is actually in yes. some way related to Genghis Khan. Yes, actually. So I was looking at the article and I wanted to save that little t- tidbit. I'm sorry. Kat's just stealing all my ammo so for the sorry. Genghis Khan episode. No, it's fine. But there is a significant portion of particularly male of the male population that is still can trace their lineage back to Genghis Khan. I don't know the exact uh, statistic off the top of my head because I... Was like, no, I'll save that for the next episode. But yes, Kat is correct. I'm sorry. It's okay, Kat. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just going to sit over here and go, ooh, ah, from now on uh, out. We're just, yeah. It's okay. We Kat's don't. going to stop ruining It's okay. She's, she's making it a more rich experience for the listeners, right? <laughs> so now that Genghis Khan has died, we have two key players that are part of Katuyan's story and also the story of the Mongolian Empire at the time. This is the story. Uh, so these two players are Kaidu Khan which is actually Catulan's father. And Kaidu Khan was uh, Genghis's great-grandson, and he favored the traditional way of Mongolian living. And if you don't know anything about Mongolia, bef- prior to the Mongolian Empire, and I think still to this day, they're very nomadic. Mm. Um, I think still modern Mongolia, yes, they do have cities just because living in the modern era, like has you have to be forced like that. But I think a lot of people who live there still really hold on to the traditional nomadic lifestyle. Um, also stuff like archery and horseback riding are big deals mm-hmm. because for nom- nomadic cultures, they're moving around a lot. So they need to be able to move efficiently and then fight on the horses that they're moving on. Oh. So um, very nomadic culture. 
And they were really strong, which is, again, once they were unified, why they were able to take over so much. Because Mm -hmm. they already had that warrior ability. No one had just said, like, hey, we should all get together. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Kaidu Khan, Cthulhu's father, favored the traditional way of Mongolian living. He wanted to go back to, we're all going to be nomadic tribes. We're going to live kind of independently of each other. Uh, We're going to focus more on our roots of, like, horseback riding, archery, and stuff like that. And he basically wanted none of the frills of the empire that came with, um, obviously, having that much land at your disposal. So none of the riches, none of the kind of luxurious lifestyle. He didn't see value in that. So he challenged the current Khan of the empire, Kublai Khan. So Khan is, like... A word for king, Yes, Khan is a title. It's kind of like emperor. Yeah. And so the current Khan at the time of Cthulhu's life is um, her great, or her uncle, um, Kublai Khan. So this is, this is confusing. But, (laughs) so I think it was her great uncle, Kublai Khan, who was the one who was kind of officially in charge of the Mongolian Empire. And he was much more into governance and political structure than mm. Kaidu, Cthulhu's father, was. So he was into keeping the order, keeping a very structured political presence. He was very meticulous in those kind of things and was not so concerned with just the freedom of the monad- nomadic lifestyle, which is what Kaidu Khan eventually wanted to get back to. So... Kaidu Khan was able to recruit a significant military force under the um, idea of returning to that more free nomadic lifestyle. And eventually Kaidu would launch an attack on Kublai Khan um, and engage in a war that would last about 30 years. So that's our context. This okay. is this is where Cthulhuan is born and living. And yes. So... If that was confusing, I'm sorry. Genghis Khan and his specifically his lineage is very confusing yeah. because again he has a million children. Um, so we have Kaidu, Cthulhu's dad, Kublai Khan, the guy who's currently in charge that Kaidu's fighting against, and then we have Cthulhu. So Cthulhu was born in 1260. And before we get into this, because the story was such a long time ago, and because. Um, one of our only historical, like, first-hand accounts of her was from none other than Marco Polo. Really? So, yeah, Marco Polo was there. He met her, apparently. Um, that would be another great episode, Marco Polo. I called dibs on that one. You know what? We need to have a notepad out where we're writing these down. You know what? Yeah, we do. I got you. Yeah, we live in a 21st century cat. Just do notes. (laughs) Um, what I... Uh, so... Marco Polo is where most of our information about Cthulhu comes from. He was apparently there and observed her in her life, which was pretty cool. But it was the problem with this is we kind of have to have that um, just that kind of thought in our brains when we're interpreting what he has to say about her because he was an outsider looking in on what would be to him a exotic or different culture. Mm. So when that happens in history, things to get to tend to be a little embellished, yeah. a little over the top than maybe what they would have been. Mm. So just, you know, setting that up for the rest of the story. So, and, and again, because it is 1260, there's a lot we don't know. Um, sources in, on this one, and we're again, 
a little iffy, but I think we found, I found some good information. And from what we can conclude, a lot of what we know we do think actually happened, um, including the most significant portion of her story, which I will get to in a minute. But um, as far as some of the details and some of the little anecdotes and stuff, we have no way to really know. And it's interesting to me that these people don't, like, we, we talked about that with, with Ching Shi as well, that, like, their lives, the general story is so fascinating. And because we don't know the details, it could make for incredible interpretation in, like, a TV show yeah, or a movie. Or a movie. Yeah. And it's just not done. And it's like... Yeah. And, well, I mean, with this one, it makes sense. Like, 1260 is a long way before, what, 18, right. 1780 that Ching Shi was operating right. in. So it's a little more understandable why we don't know anything about Cthulhuan. True. But, it's, like, we have shows for, like, Vi- like the Viking show, yeah, The Last Kingdom. No. Like, those are all really old, too. And it's like, they are they feel fine embellishing those, but it's like, yeah. these would make incredible stories. Oh, absolutely. And why just no one has seized upon this? We don't know. So anyway, so Cthulhuan was born in 1260 to her father, um... Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting. My Kaidu, excuse me. There's so many K names. Um, <laughs> so he, she was born to Kaidu, and she was the only daughter in a 14 son and one daughter house. Excuse she me? had 14 brothers, um, which would explain why she was so athletically oriented. Because yeah. I just think, especially in literally living in a house that's one related to Genghis Khan. Yeah. Uh, could you imagine being related to Genghis Khan? No. And, like, still having significant power over the, Mongol- the Mongolian Empire that still exists. Um, two, having 14 brothers. And gender stereotypes in that time period were strong. <laughs> and three, living in a culture that valued everyone learning horseback riding and archery and those kind of skills. <sighs> so cool. So she was just destined to be a badass from the start. Um, <laughs> so her, her family was very war oriented and she was able to fully participate in any of the things that her brothers did. She became very skilled at horseback riding and archery very early on. And one of the things she also picked up early on was wrestling. And now this is what my girl Katine is known for. Well, yeah. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything now, but just keep wrestling in mind. Um, <laughs> so we don't know much about her early life, um, However, we do know that out of his 14 sons, her father, Kaidu, preferred the military expertise of his daughter. <gasps> so from the beginning, um, when Kaidu launched his um, war against Kublai Khan, he sought, actively sought out and valued the military advice of his daughter. She was basically his right-hand man all throughout the war effort, at least while he was alive. Um and just as a preference, or like a, just so y'all know, it was not particularly unusual for women to be warriors in Mongolia, and they served even in leadership roles. However, it was unusual for one a woman to be so high-ranking. Again, she was number two. She was in charge of the military, and she had the respect of her men. This could be because her dad is leading this army, but I genuinely think he had 14 people to pick from and he chose yeah. the one daughter. So there was a reason why he was like, no, I'm going to choose. I'm yeah. a, I'm, she's going to be the one that I'm going uh, to go for. So in addition to her talented military mind, so she was, again, she just knew military strategy. She was very good at what she did. She was also a very skilled fighter. So it wasn't all just brains. It was brawn too. And there's actually a quote from Marco Polo um, <laughs> where he describes an attack she would often do when they were in battle. So this is 
from Marco Polo, he says, quote, sometimes she would quit her father's side and make a dash at the host of the enemy and seize some man thereout and deftly and as deftly as a hawk pounces on a bird and carry him to her father. And she did this many a time. So she would just what? pluck people out of, I mean, you know, it's old traditional warfare. So they're just like, like just, just a wave of people. And she would just go in and out and like pluck them out. And what? Like, wouldn't that be terrifying? This right? woman sounds incredible. I know, and she would just, boop, <laughs> and then they would be gone. Oh, yeah. My gosh. So she talk she, about a fear tactic, though. Can you yeah. imagine these men having a woman ride at them full speed, thinking nothing's gonna happen, and all of a sudden your comrade's being dragged behind a horse? And yeah, or they look off. around and it's like, where's? Steve. <laughs> His name would be Steve. Actually, it would be a K name. Where's Kyle? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like, she was good at what she did, and she was very athletically talented. Wow. Very capable. Oh, my gosh. This woman was a powerhouse. So, actually, speaking of how incredibly athletically talented she was, in Mongolian culture, people who were... Um, as athletically talented as her, were seen as gifted by the gods. So she already had respect from, one, her just raw physical ability, two, because, oh my gosh, she's that way because the gods made her that way. Mm -hmm. So she has no problem commanding, you know, thousands of men. And three, she was actually gifted by her father, so Kaidu, um... This gift that was usually only reserved for men, and it was a medallion made of precious metals that was bestowed bestowed by cons in order to show the value and status of the person they were giving it to. And this gift was only given by cons at the will of the gods. So, and she's given this gift by her father who is doing it on behalf of the gods. So she's like... She's an irrefutable leader then, both through religious reason, physical reason, and claim to the throne. Yeah, so she has no problem commanding the respect of... And people listen to her, and again, thousands of men have no problem taking orders from her. Um, And this honor was, like I said, usually only reserved for men, and she was one of the only... She was the only woman we know of that got this. And it's funny because there was a version of this for women, but no, she got the men one. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, all of that is great. She's kicking ass, taking names, plucking people out of crowds like, (laughs) like a bird. Um, but like with any daughter, Kaidu began to want to see his daughter married. So can't escape it. Can't escape it. We do still live in a society. Um, and unfortunately so did Katuyan. So, uh, my theory is, I don't know. This is just me speculating. I'm thinking because later on, and I'll talk about this later on, when uh, Kaidu dies, he is rumored to have named her as the one he wants to succeed him. Oh. So over all 14 of her brothers, she's the one that he handpicks as, I want you to succeed me as Khan. 
Um, so my theory is, is that he wants her to have a husband so that when he eventually names her as his successor, oh. it will be a more legitimate thing than just giving the throne to a daughter. Because then you can have heirs. Yeah. Then you can have heirs and then people are like, well, she's just a woman. She'll have yeah. a husband too. Even though we all know that she'll be the one in charge. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, again, just my theory. I didn't see that anywhere, but just thinking about it, I'm like, that would be. That's an interesting. I mean, I'm sure it crosses yeah. mind. Yeah, for sure. So... This is where Katuyan gets her fame. So she says to her dad, she said, okay, dad, I'll marry someone, but only if they're able to beat me at wrestling. What? Yes. Oh my gosh. So this is where I take a brief interlude and explain Mongolian traditional wrestling. So in traditional Mongolian wrestling, the two fighters would stand stand and face each other and grab a hold of one another, usually each other's arms or waist. And there was no limit on how long this match could take or any place this could take. So it could happen literally anywhere at any time. And the match only ended when any part of the loser's body touched the ground. Um, obviously their feet didn't count because they had to stand, but so any part of their body touches the ground, that person is the loser. There was no rules. Um, anyone could fight anyone, uh, no matter gender, what size you were, strength, or anything. So, huh. this was again why I think uh, Katulian as a uh, Katulian as a young woman or a young girl was able to participate in wrestling competitively with her brothers because there was no rules. You just didn't. You just wow. wouldn't. You weren't supposed to let your body parts touch the ground. So. And I also have a theory about that and why she might have been. Obviously, she was incredibly physically talented. But women do have a lower uh, As, yeah. Yeah, center of gravity. So, yeah. We don't know how many men, how many suitors Katuyan would wrestle. We do know that um, every wrestling match, she um, required a barter of horses. Um, so, at the beginning of her spree, she required a barter of 10 horses so the trade was, if you win, you get my hand in marriage. If I win, I get 10 of your horses. And this was rumored to have increased to 100 by the time she was over oh with gosh. this spree because she had so many suitors and she needed a bigger buy-in because um, wow. everyone wanted to fight her. So she was, she. we don't know how many men she wrestled. We do know that she wrestled enough men to have, quote, 10,000 horses what? at her disposal. Now, I want I have a quick note to say about 10,000 when we see it in historical sources. Usually that just means more than we can count in historical things. Yeah. Cuz how often have you heard 10,000 whatever? Yeah. 10,000 ships. It it still is maintained that was she probably had easily thousands of yeah. horses. So she fought enough men and won enough times to gather Thousands of horses. Now, who's taking care of all these horses? I don't know. <laughs> but she's got them. <laughs> so, yes. So, uh, horses. Sorry, let me. I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. I'm just so excited. So, one match in particular was said to have required her 1,000 horses in one swoop. Um, and this, again, was recorded by Marco Polo. So, who knows Again, how true this is, uh, but it's a fun little story. So when she was about 20, her father and her mother became concerned at her inability to find a match 
they wanted her to sell down. Basically, they're like, you've wrestled all these guys. <laughs> you got your horses. We understand that you, you know, you want to, you've set this rule, but we get a little worried. You're just too good. <laughs> um, so here, here walks in some wealthy prince, and that's all we know about him. Oh. We just know that this is a wealthy prince. Um, we don't know where he's from. We just know that he's a prince, and he's considered a good match for Katuyan. So her parents go to her, and they say, listen, we know you have this rule, but can you please just throw this match? Like, we think this would be a great match for you. We really want you to see you settled, and, you know, this would be a good thing for our empire and for your future, all this stuff. And rumor is that she agreed to throwing the match, but... <laughs> In the actual wrestling match, she was taken over by a competitive spirit. <laughs> and she was like, screw this. I'm not throwing this. I'm going to beat this guy. Um, Hell yeah. And apparently this guy was actually one of the most evenly matched suitors that um, came and asked for her hand. And apparently this match lasted a long time. And eventually she would win. Um, but it was only after she summoned some great strength within her and Forced him down and off Hell his balance. yeah, girl. So, she never did um, actually lose a match. She remains undefeated. Uh, and that day, she lost a thousand horses, or she gained a thousand horses. And he apparently was so ashamed that he just left. <laughs> and he went back to his father and was like, I can't believe I've I've faced all of the best challengers in our lands. And then I'm bested by a woman. <laughs> Sucks to underestimate so, women, huh? Yeah, so again, that's why I think, like, uh, one, obviously she was very physically talented, but two, women having a lower sense of gravity, uh, or lower center of gravity, yeah. might have might have given her an advantage. I don't think it would have been a significant one, especially in the more talented mm -hmm. groups, but it could be a reason why she was so successful. It could have been really helpful, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, this last Prince guy resulted uh, kind of dissuaded any other suitors to, suitors to challenge her because they're like uh she's if that guy couldn't beat her she's too good she's too good I, I i'm not gonna be able to so she doesn't marry because no one's beat her yet um <laughs> but because her and her father were in a war and they have a lot of enemies who you know propaganda has been a thing for forever yeah Enemies start circulating, uh, start kind of wondering why Katuyan hadn't married, um, and also why she had such a close relationship with her father. Oh, come on, guys. So, Just because you can't beat her? Uh, well, no, it was like the war enemies, too. And I'm sure oh. all the guys who have been, like, butthurt because they couldn't <laughs> beat against, win against a girl just to help circulate this. They're like, yeah, no, that's definitely, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Enemies began to spread rumors and propaganda that Katuyan and Kaidu, her father, were engaged in an incestuous relationship. This more than likely was false, um, but it did bring a great deal of shame to her family, and particularly her father. And this ultimately is what prompted Katuyan to kind of yield on the whole wrestling requirement for her husband <laughs> and would eventually wed. Um... So there's not that much known about her husband, except for the fact that he was apparently chosen from her father's men and they got married and it. That's all we know. Uh, there was a rumor about him too, because you know, it was wartime and you know, people just come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. But apparently this guy, according to the people back then was an assassin sent to kill Kaidu, 
who was caught, but he acted in such an honorable way that he earned himself a place in as an officer in Kaido's military and eventually his daughter's um, hand in marriage. So, <laughs> can you imagine that enemies to lovers arc that they would make out of that if they would make it into a TV show? Oh my god, I I mean that is just I don't know what after literally trying to kill assassinate Kaido, I don't know what he could have done. That would have been so honorable. That's why I have a harder time believing this story than yeah, some of the other ones. But it's fun, I guess. I personally wouldn't be that forgiving of someone trying to kill me. But, you know, cultural differences, maybe? <laughs> like, contextual differences, I guess? Yeah. Um, again, that was just a rumor, and it was probably just a story made up at the time. Oh, would be so cool, though. Sorry, I got a phone call. Sorry, Ricky. Is it your mom? No, that was Ricky. Oh. My mom did Snapchat me, though. How did her... Oh, oh my God. Can, later. can well, people just leave me alone? I'm so popular. <laughs> your mom was so happy she made it within the last Oh, my God. Ricky said, please. Podcast. Ricky, I can't. I can't right now. <laughs> we'll be done soon. Yeah, we'll be done soon. Give me 20 minutes. Um, so, but that meant because she chose a husband for herself, she is still technically undefeated Heck in yeah. wrestling. Um, she never had to kind of give up that title, which I think is awesome. Uh, so Kaido died in 1301 after suffering an injury in battle and becoming gravely ill because of it. And he died of dysentery. So Oregon Trail reference there. <laughs> Donner party. And uh, like I said earlier, apparently he left behind word that he wanted Katian for the title of Khan. But she wasn't interested in politics. So instead, the position of Khan was given to one of her brothers while she remained in charge of the military and worked with that brother um, to kind of forward the war and everything. I don't think they won, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I think Kublai Khan really had the power, but for them to wage a war against him and successfully defend their land for Mm -hmm. 30 years, that's pretty impressive. That's big. Yeah, and for her to be in charge of that, that's awesome. Yeah. But... She actually only died five years after her father in 1306. No. We don't know how or why she died. Uh, just completely unknown. But, yeah, that's um, that's her life. So she's just, it's a fun little story. Um, she's a pretty cool character. And again, like Kat said, there's so much room for interpretation there. Like, make an, an accurate movie. Yeah. Who cares? Like, there's no information there. So you don't yeah. have to be worrying and stressing over every little detail. Um, but I did mention before I st- or uh, when I started that there was a not accurate representation. So um, Netflix for a while, I think like 2014 to 2015, oh, had no. a show called Marco Polo. Yes, they did. And I never watched it. I never actually knew about it until I Googled this. And I was like, why are they talking about Netflix? Like, this is a historical figure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, from I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard, the... Katuyan is introduced wrestling someone, and not in the Mongolian-style wrestling. We're talking, like, on the floor wrestling, oh. more Greco-Roman, and um, that quickly evolves into something else. Are you kidding me? So, um... No! <laughs> in all the ways they could have interpreted it, that would have been fine. They chose the one way to interpret it Honestly, <laughs> and make it not fine. I feel like... I feel like she's one of those people that was just maybe, like, ace or something like that. And she was like, yeah, I don't plan on ever getting married. I'm just going to fight men. And, like, the one thing you do in her memory to portray her is literally devolve into that. Yeah, to make her have sex in the first scene scene she's in. That's such... uh, That's, like, the whole principle of her life is that 
Yeah, and, like, it could be just because she was like, I don't want to marry because that means I have to be subservient to a husband. Yeah, there's and a lot of like reasons. That. But, like, one, to represent a literal Mongolian princess and doing something that is significant and traditional in Mongolian culture, it just completely, uh, like, just ignore that that's how it was done and just do the yeah. westernized version of it. Which, I'm not surprised, but it's frustrating still. And then to make it about sex, like, come on, Netflix. Like... Netflix really goes for it sometimes. They really do, unfortunately. Um, But, yeah, so um, other than the Netflix thing, she has been uh, featured in a few plays over the centuries. Nothing super popular. um, Just because I don't think there's much very known about her. And that's why I thought she would be a cool person to do. Just raise some awareness because... Badass women in history deserve it, and yeah. she definitely was one, and I wish I was as strong as her. That sounds, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So she married She married a man, though. She married a man. Yeah. We don't know anything about sexuality or anything. It's so interesting. Yeah, she like, did marry a man, but we don't know anything about him, really. Huh. <sighs> so that's the struggle of doing people who were born in 1260. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah. a lot of cultures were surprisingly actually okay with like lgbtqia relationships and stuff like that back then it's just like we have this preconceived notion that it's a modern thing like yeah ancient greece had a whole different take on it you know who did that the victorians yeah like it's they ruined everything (laughs) yeah did but yeah it's interesting to see that represented in other cultures because sometimes it's totally just oh yeah she had like a husband that five best girlfriends who hung out and slept in her tent with her. Like, you know, like, yeah. And I don't know if that's a Mongolian thing, but it's in other cultures too. Where oh, it's, for sure. It's just like, we assume that everyone was really prim and proper. Yeah. And- we have this idea of history again, from the Victorians that everything we have just progressed in a straight line. Yeah. And so we're more socially aware and accepting now than we ever have been when that's really not it's the case. Not. We just had to relearn all of that stuff. Again, since the Victorians fucked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> That's so... Oh, I wish we had more details on her. That would be I know. That would be so fun. Just like Ching Chi. They just need to make like some sort of like Marvel Cinematic Universe crossover where all of these people just exist in a timeless vacuum and they just hang out with each other. We should contact our friend to see if he's looking for any inspiration ideas. <laughs> He'd never respond. This, but... He would never respond. But he's missing out. So... Yes. Anyway, yeah, so wow. that's my story. Good job. That was awesome. Thanks. I feel like it was really short, but it was a fun one. No, um, I think that was a good length. That was, yeah. Then, like you said, it's hard when there's not a lot of in-depth research. Like, yeah. We know Rose Valens every move pretty much. Yeah, and she literally biography. wrote a biography. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's so cool. Yeah, thanks. Nice. I had a fun time researching this one. It was a cool, it was a cool story to learn about, but anyway, should we do a fun fact? Yeah. Oh, first, um... If you've got suggestions, questions, et cetera, et cetera, go ahead and email us at thisisnotahistorylecture at gmail.com. And if you just want to talk to us on Twitter, like we've been begging you to basically this whole episode, <laughs> reach out to us there. Our um, username is at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Um, and Kat is running that and she's doing a great job. I am not, but thank you. And you will, if you dig deep enough, you'll find my mother's Twitter account, which is, um, has no identifying information on it (laughs) because why do you have a Twitter account, Twitter account, mom? Um, actually I do know why it's because she got really into big brother and she made a Twitter because of it. I love it. 
Um, I so, think my parents have one so they could follow with my high school's um, online updates of like weather and stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, fun fact. Fun um, fact. Fun fact. Okay. Um, so the pink Chanel that Jackie Kennedy was wearing the day of her husband's assassination. Why are all of your fun facts not fun? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm interested. Well, I, mean, I, I want to hear about it. But... I believe that it is, um, was given to the Smithsonian under yes. a contract that it would not be displayed for another like 50 years or something like that until 100 years have passed since his assassination. Yeah, because it still has the blood on it and it would be too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find interesting. That is an interesting fact. Is it very fun? Depends on who okay, you ask. Hold on. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, fun, a fun one. Ancient Egyptian pharaohs couldn't have their hair seen by the general public. They had to wear a hair covering of some sort. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess this is a part of the culture of that region. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're rich, why show your hair? Yeah. <laughs> Poor people can't see my hair. It's so bougie. <laughs> it would offend them. Yeah. It'd be like the, the guy in Spongebob who's like, bald! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So that's well, a fun fact. we'll stop rambling. Yeah. Um, but Thanks for tuning in to This Is Not a History Lecture. Wow. We're getting better. We are getting better. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, like Cap said, Twitter, email, all of that. We would love to hear from you. If you have the time to do it, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. That really does a lot for us. And it's one of the biggest ways we can kind of get uh, the word out about our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will... And we'll talk see you, to you next Tuesday. No, we will talk to you next we'll Tuesday. We'll talk with you next Tuesday. We won't see anyone next Tuesday. We'll see each other next Tuesday. There you go. <laughs> um, We're going to not make the mistake we made last week. Yeah, let's not do that. Okay. Um, um, anyway, yeah, okay. yeah, y'all have a great week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>